Fourteen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two hundred eighty-nine of Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And some adaptations are so bad they insult the original source material. Some are so good they elevate the source material, and some are so amazing that they somehow make "I'm in love with my car" triumphant. Right? <laughs> yeah. I told like, you it was coming. <laughs> like. I never found a more perfect place to have I'm in love my, with my car. I mean, it's like they knew. They're like, look, for the next 30 years, everyone's going to hate this song. But come 2019, it'll all pay off. I think it was one of Agnes Nutter's predictions, actually. And lo, lo the demon shall love his car. Yeah. Brian May was like, I know, it's coming. My day is coming. <laughs> Uh, for more obscurity on that, uh, if you have not seen it, we watch Good Omens, uh, the TV adaptation on Amazon of the 1990 book by Terry Pratchett. and um, Which we read. Yes, we read okay. a book. Not the same we book. We did read a book. We did. For you peoples, we read a book. Yeah, yeah. So um, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, uh, who wrote team wrote that book together. Who? Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Never heard of them. <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting show, folks. I'm telling you that right now. If you like interesting shows, you'll probably like the shows oh. on the Podcast Collective, oh. such as Tales from the Hard Side, interesting. The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, the Empty Rant Podcast, and of course the Red Dead Radio Hour. Fuck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you're, if, if you want more of this, more of this, this is the stuff you come here <laughs> I for. You. I know who doesn't want more horse cast, uh, <laughs> iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk it's, to Podverse M, all those places. It, horse casting, it's hot to trot. <laughs> Spotify, leave us a review on Podchaser or on iTunes. I hear people still use that. Uh, if you want to give us a call, it's seven eight now wrap. That's seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. And dun da dun, we have a voicemail. It's been a while, yeah. yeah. And from loyal listener Karen, even. Yay! Yeah. Hi, Karen. Hi, because she can't hear you, Patrick. Well, oh. I mean, I suppose she can, but she's not going to respond. Or she, she might. might. She might. You uh, never know. I'm not the boss of her. That's what you think. Yeah. It was predicted. Right. It, all right, here we go. Hey, 40 going on 14, guys. Listener, I just wanted to thank you for informing me that there is a Kilberkai uh, show on YouTube. I had no idea that this was a thing, so I'll be checking that out in the near future. I think the only YouTube show that I've ever watched, continue to watch, is Hot Ones with Sean Evans, so should be interesting. Um, that said, we should try to think of something comparable so that you guys can do a Hot Ones show, because it's hilarious. All right, that's all from me. Hope you guys are doing good. Looking forward to the next episode. Bye. Oh, my God. We are not out of food show topics. We could talk about hot ones and do the spicy food show. Yes, I love that because I I also love hot ones. Oh I don't know if yeah, you, I don't know I, if you guys are familiar with it. But I don't I know. Am. Okay, no idea. I thought it was it a is... Chuck Tingle show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What is that? Uh, uh, it's it's yeah. it's a show hosted by a by a guy who they they lay out ten wings and they go from um, hardly spicy at all all the way up to insanely spicy. And ev- with every wing that they eat, he eats with them. They oh, both eat the same yes, type of wing. Oh, yes, I have seen that. And he interviews them and comes up with really great questions. And it's, it's a, he's got. I mean, the, uh, I just watched the one that posted today. Actually, um, he just did. 
Um, uh, Trevor Noah just did it. See, now this is the thing. You know, at some point, the guy was sitting in the basement with his buddies. I'm going to have this podcast, this, this, this show, where I'm going to get celebrities to come on and eat hot wings with me, and I'll interview them while they're eating the hot wings, and they slowly get hotter. And they went, oh. that's ridiculous, Todd. I have I have an idea for Call a... Call YouTube. I haven't sent a camera crew. This is a this is a true thing. Um, I don't know if we should you know put this to you know, to work or whatever. But I while I was watching that show today, came up with a great idea that I want to do an after show the day after Hot Ones called Hot Buns, where they we do a phone interview with the celebrities that were on the show while they're taking a dump. Is that hosted by Chuck Tingle? <laughs> like because we talked to them about the after effects of eating all that spicy food. Um, hot, hot. It's called hot buns, guys. Hot buns. Buns. Did you you get it? Because it's about poop. <laughs> so glad to have you back. <laughs> Apparently, we've switched roles now. All right. Yeah, leave I'm now, Patrick. <laughs> oh my God! Is it about that time? It is about that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. on the horse cast um so this week may 1st 1990 when the book was first published what book exactly all right so is this what it's like podcasting with me yes (laughs) i am so sorry you have a lot of people to apologize to dude i am so sorry you need to put yourself in the corner when this is done I didn't do it. You're doing it this time. But you've been doing it. it. <laughs> right? No kidding. Who do you think I learned it from? I learned it by watching you. <gasps> uh, speaking of which, music. The number one song in the land in the middle of a four-week run was Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You, written by Prince. Love that song. Great song. Which uh, the Prince version will be released or has been released on his covers album that just dropped or are dropping shortly. So His, his version is that. not bad, but her version is so much better. His is, a little, his is a little bit slower and a little more soulful. It's It can be slower? It's already a pretty slow song. Yeah. It's like math rock now. Prince can slow anything down or speed it up. He was Prince, man. He whatever the fuck he wants. It's true. The Eurovision Song Contest of 1990. Uh, yeah. The 35th annual was held in Zagreb, Yugoslavia on May 5th. Toto Kadugno Kadug- was the winner of this contest with his own composition, in the Siemi, 1992, this was the second victory for Italy, the first one having been Nanholieta, performed by Gigliola <laughs> Cinchetti in 1964. I think those were the two of the extras from that show about the opera singing clown guy. <laughs> All right, so oh. I know you want, I know you want to hear it. We do, we do we want. Do. You do. Jump right to the middle for the fun part. Oh, Toto. If I could turn back time. See, for me, that was reminiscent of Michael W. Smith. Oh, my God, Michael W. Smith. I I saw him in concert twice. I've seen him, too. If this is going to be what our... Whoop. Stop playing YouTube. Okay. Yeah, we're we're done with that. Yeah. I don't... this was a this was a bad Eurovision. Now, how, was now, okay. the, it wasn't. I mean, it was, for 1990, 1990, it wasn't too bad. He was predicting the future because the song was 1992. <gasps> He's sticking with the topic. What is which it? they mentioned Eurovision in the uh, the series. 
Did, Did they? they? Yeah, there was a mention of Eurovision in Good Omens. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I missed it. Uh, the next bullet point here at the 25th Academy of Country Music Awards held April 25th, George Strait, Clint Black, and Kathy Mateo won. Not saying what The rest of country music zero. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that gets me is that that Toto Kung Tongo is <laughs> every other song on Eurovision that year was worse than that. Obviously, yeah, and that song was just very bland. It wasn't bad or good. It was just there. I think you need to watch the video, though, because there's a dude in the background that looks kind of like my dad. <laughs> Maybe he was there. You never know. Is he looking disappointingly at the camera right in our, into our souls like your dad does? No, he's falling off a ladder. Oh, well, that, 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 that checks out, too. <laughs> <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> On April 25th, Jimi Hendrix's Fender Stratocaster, on which he performed his famous version of Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock, <clears throat> excuse me, was auctioned off in London for $295,000. Wow. Damn. That's actually kind of cheap for what I would expect that guitar to... Well, I mean, it was still it was, 30 years ago, yeah. Yeah, 1990. I get it. But still. Yeah. It was probably a bunga 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 and well, finally, I was going to say, no, it was, it was probably yeah. a bunch, uh, damn it, among a bunch of other memorabilia. So people were spreading their money around, I'm sure. I mean, it wasn't like it was the only thing at the auction. A bunga bunga. <laughs> There's a lot of bunga bunga there. And finally, on April 26th, Danny Wood of the NKOTB, that is New Kids on the Block, sprained his ankle during a concert when he stepped on a stuffed animal thrown on stage by a fan. <laughs> she was immediately <laughs> destroyed by the crowd. <laughs> right? You hurt Danny! <laughs> Nobody threw a bra on stage. They threw a stuffed animal. That that checks as well. Yeah. yeah. Now they throw walkers. Stuffed what? walkers. What? They're not that old. No. They're, they're, they're our age, Joel. Yeah, they're all our age. Yeah. I know. <laughs> all right, moving on to movies. Please. The <laughs> number one movie in the land was Pretty Woman, the story of a street-walking hooker who married her richest client and became posh, a.k.a. a modern-day fairy. Because uh, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's not too far off from the truth. Mm -hmm. Stephanie K. Panabaker, born May 2nd, is an American zoologist and former actress. She is best known for her roles in Reboot of Fame, Phil of the Future, and Summerland. She's the younger sister of Danielle Panabaker. Oh, no. I thought her name was. I thought maybe that was like her real name and she switched it to Danielle. K, no relation, Panabaker. <laughs> David Stephen Rappaport was an English actor with dwarfism, standing 3 foot 11 inches in height. He was known for his roles in the films Time, Bandit and the, Time Bandits and The Bride, <laughs> and television's LA Law and The Wizard, and Captain Planet and The Planeteers. Rappaport struggled with depression. He had begun filming the role of Kivas Fajo in Star Trek The Next Generation, but during filming he attempted suicide. And the scenes he ha had completed were later discarded. He was replaced by Saul Rubinek to complete the episode. The scenes of Rappaport as Kivas Fajo were included on the season three Blu-ray uh, disc release. He committed suicide by shooting himself in the chest on May 2nd. Jesus. Kivas Fajo is one of my favorite characters from the Next Gen it not, was originally, originally supposed to be, yeah, David <clears throat> Rappaport. Can I can I tell you something great? I mean, it's sad. 
poor, poor David, but going on about Time Bandits. Did you know they're doing a remake of it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm very jazzed about that. I am too, because Takita Watiti is writing and directing. Nice. Ooh, I know. Nice. Yes. I am I am excited about that. That was one of my favorite movies from my childhood. I know. My, it was one on my list too. Every time it was one of those where my mom would come be like, I don't get this. <laughs> <laughs> right? What's going it, on? That, yeah, that was another one of those. My mom would just walk by and look at the TV and just keep walking. Like, yep. Well. <laughs> It's evil. Don't you get it? Okay, finally, Crocodile Dundee actors Paul Hogan and Linda Kozlowski married at their newly built $3 million mansion in Australia on May 5th. And they played Knifey Spoony. (laughs) Yeah, that was a very controversial marriage because he was married to his uh, his manager uh, agent. I guess she was manager agent wife. His manager, yeah. His anager, that you know, it's like it's like a, an alrapist. and <laughs> yes. yes. Well, you know, he le- and they filmed Crocodile Dundee, and he left her for Linda, and then like within a couple of days of their marriage being do- being dissolved, they got married. Huh. Yeah. So a lot of people were like, you know, she got you to your fame, and then you just dumped her for a hotter younger woman, and he was just kind of like, yeah, that's that's about what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's why I wanted the fame. <laughs> That's not a divorce. That's a divorce. Oh, shit. I didn't do the top three shows. This is the 90s, so let's just say it's uh, Cosby uh, Show. Cosby. Cosby Show, Cheers. And um, different, different World. Yeah, probably. Well, it was early 90s, so yeah. Yeah. All right. So covered by every major news station and show, the week saw the beginning of the physical dismantling of the Berlin Wall. I remember when that happened. It's weird, isn't it? That there's just people now that don't even understand that. Germany used to be divided at all. And the whole Wacko's World song is confusing to them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of misinformation in that song now. Well, and I'm sure there was lots of babies that were uh, made during that celebration, and now they're 30 and have their own kids. Yikes. That's where you go with that? Uh-huh. All right. I'm not one to judge, but I'm going to. Uh, so NBC made the decision to air its popular show Quantum Leap every night of the week this week instead of the usual one night per week. And hope to see if we make the final leap home. <laughs> Maybe if we increase the output, you'll get home. The writers won't be able to keep up, and they'll just have to write him home. That wasn't Definitely. a bad show. That was a pretty good show. I, I would actually show. like for that to be on like Netflix or Hulu or something. Yeah, I'd like Scott Bakula to reprise his role because he never made it home. I, I looked for it. It wasn't. I didn't see it on anything. It's got to be somewhere. Well, yeah, they need to reboot it with Scott Bakula. Maybe Scott Bakula can be the hologram dude. Reboot Sam? it. With, reboot it with Chris, with Chris Pratt. As Al? No, as uh, what's his face? Scott Bakula's character. Well, I mean, Dean Stockwell is still alive, so I mean, it kind of looks about the same. Yeah, you could have both of them back, and he could continue his journey. Yeah. Dude, I'd watch that. Oh, watch you're that talking part. about a continuation, not a reboot. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, right. Because since they never ended it, just do like a mini series or a full run. I was thinking a full reboot. It's got Macula and Chris Pratt in the movie in the show that you never knew you wanted. <laughs> and Deep Raptor. down, I always knew. <laughs> uh, on May 4th, the Muppets creator Jim Henson made his final public appearance when he appeared on a, as a guest on the acronym of the week, which is T A H S. I'm pretty sure that's Tom Arnold has syphilis. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> it's kind of like he's, he's, 
Awkward interview show. <laughs> yeah. Have I told you? I have syphilis. <laughs> you might want to get lovers. checked. <laughs> yeah. so, what do you mean get checked? Well, I did rub my genitals all over your dressing room. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the TV version of Is Abe, Abe Vigoda Dead? Yes. <laughs> Still got it. With Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. <laughs> so uh, Jim Henson would die less than two weeks later. Oh, I'm sorry. The uh, actual member of the week is actually the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> That yep, was a weird Jim, thing. Jim Henson's final appearance on the Arsenio Hall show. Sad. Well, it yeah. could have been the uh, the Magic Johnson hour. For that one. Well, yeah, Arsenio was at the top of his game in 1990. Yeah, he fair. was. It was like the biggest show yeah. to be on. It wasn't the Chevy Chase show. But what is? Really? Also a good point. So, uh, yeah, that, that derailed my brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would die less than two weeks later of severe strep infection that destroyed his lungs within days because he didn't get his dumb ass to the hospital. That aggravates me. Yep. I knew that was going to be a trigger paragraph. Yeah, for me. that's Jim Henson is my, is uh, uh, who's a grunge guy that Kurt died? Co- Kurt Cobain. Yeah, yeah, he's my Kurt Cobain. <laughs> well, we know how much you love the Muppets. and uh, It was just so know. stupid. Deservedly so, and yeah, that's a dumb way to die. Yeah. Also on uh, April 30th, the long-lost pilot show for I Love Lucy was broadcast by CBS as a special. I remember that, too. Yeah. Yep, they made a big stinking deal about that. I remember that. Everybody loves Lucy. Yeah. Hence the name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a dog named Lucy and two cats that are Ricky and Ethel. So. I have a dog named Lucy. Huh, and, what a strange yeah. and odd coincidence. Moving on to sports. At the 100... 100- 116th Kentucky Derby held May 5th. Craig Parrott won aboard unbridled with a time of two minutes, two seconds, which I, I think is impressive, but I don't know. We're going to say yes, it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> strangely topical for the horse cast. Uh-huh. Jose Altuve, born May 6th, is the second baseman for the Houston Astros. Having won the American League batting title and its MVP award, Altuve was declared Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year in 2017. And he's a big deal down here. Everybody loves him. He stands about five foot four or something like that. He's a tiny little dude. And one of the best players in baseball. Five cool. foot six with Afro. <laughs> the Baltimore Orioles' Greg Olson set the relief pitcher record of 41 consecutive scoreless innings on May 4th on his way to 37 saves for the year. Wow. Yep. Nolan Ryan it's tied. In here, I think. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Nolan Ryan tied Bob Feller's record of pitching 12 one-hitters on April 26th. We're making progression in these things. Last week it was the no-hitters. Now we're on the (laughs) one-hitters. Nolan Ryan leads all, uh, most every pitching record for Major League Baseball that there is, especially the ones for longevity. He has the most no-hitters by far. He has the most one-hitters by far. I mean, he has the most perfect games. I thought that was you. (laughs) I thought the same joke. I'm glad Joel floated it. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, on May 4th, the legendary Wasim Akram c- claimed a one-day international hat trick to take his team to the Austral Asia Cup title win. The Imran Khan, remember that name, mm-hmm. led yep. Pakistani de- Pakistan <laughs> defeated Australia by 36 runs in the final at the Sharjah Cricket Association Stadium. Stadium. Akram bowled Merv Hughes, Carl Rackman, and then sent Terry Alderman packing to complete his hat trick. Not Terry Alderman. Right? Can you believe that lineup? I mean, Carl Rackerman was hard enough to believe, <laughs> but Terry Alderman too? Akram is the only bowler to have taken two hat tricks in tests and one-day internationals. Batting first after winning the toss 
Pakistan posted 266 for seven with Akram scoring an unbeaten 49 runs off 50 balls. And in reply, I feel like I should be doing the 20s, <laughs> the 20s voice. In reply, Akram and Mushtaq Ahmed claimed three wickets apiece to restrict the restrict an Allen Border led Australia to 230. For the all around show, Akram was rightly adjudged the man of the match. That was a lot of cricket. <laughs> it was a lot of cricket and a lot of like consonants, and that that was. There was a lot to chew in that that paragraph. Oh, poor Terry Alderman! What oh, an asshole hurts. I am to do that to myself. Well, you deserve it from the crap you pulled on us. True story. Yes. I can't believe you got Terry Alderman. No, can't even believe. Not Terry Alderman. Poor Terry, and he went home and cried. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Terry. Uh, so Terry likes cricket. <laughs> Good one. So take us out, keyboard Joel. Na 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 na. So this Fuck. this week we read a book. <gasps> this is oh. a thing that we have we have the first time we've done this. Yeah, for the show. Bandied. I've read books before. I was gonna say I'm reading books all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean we bandied about the idea before, but we didn't have a good reason to do it. Um, I mean, we did read some stuff for the Batman Bat Month. Yeah, we those read are comics. Comics, so. yeah, but this is different. So yes, so the full title of Good Omens, uh, like I said, Terry Pratchett and um, Neil Gaiman yeah, yeah. team wrote, uh, comedy about the birth of the son of Satan and the coming of the apocalypse. So the angel Orasafel and the demon Crowley to try and sabotage everything because they kind of like being on Earth. They kind of dig it. And they uh, like each other. They kind of like, yeah, they're best friends. They like each other's company. Yes. Yeah. As as they've been in each other's company since the dawn of time. Uh, the plotline re- revolves around a mix-up at a hospital where the Antichrist is actually pitched off to... Where, oh, I forgot the name of the village. Small little country village instead uh, of... Tadfield. Tadfield. Yeah. Tadfield, yes. Going to Tadfield instead Tadfield. of... Tadfield. Yes, Tadfield. Thank you, Pat. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. You're the talent. Yep. Um, so he winds up growing up in the wrong with the wrong family. Instead of being with the American ambassador, he winds up in Tadfield and uh, summons the Four Horsemen, and the apocalypse is on its way. Uh, this novel is actually listed as number 68 on the BBC survey, The Big Read, which is kind of like the IMDb 100 books that you need to, or 100 movies you need to see before you die type of thing. Huh. So... <clears throat> Uh, Neil Gaiman and Pratchett had known each other since 85. They had the idea about writing this book and was originally supposed to be a parody of a uh, Richmond Crompton Williams books. <laughs> oh, yeah. The old Richmond Crompton Williams. Yes. but um, I had a dollar. Well, they were named William the Antichrist, but uh, they their idea got bigger and bigger and bigger out of it. So they were both living in England, and Neil Gaiman has been quoted as saying, We've been living in England when we wrote it as an educated guess, although neither of us ever counted. Terry probably wrote around 60,000 raw, and I wrote 45,000 raw words in Good Omens on the whole. Terry taking more of the plot with Adam and the them in, and me doing the stuff that was slightly more tangential to the story, except that broke down pretty quickly when we got towards the end, and we swapped characters so that we both written everyone by the time it was done. But then we rewrote and footnoted each other's bits as we went along, rolled up our sleeves to take the first draft to the second, with quite a lot of words, and by the end of it, neither of us was entirely certain who had written what. 
It was indeed plotted along plotted in long daily phone calls, and we would post floppy disks uh, <laughs> back and forth. So mail, let's see, 1990, we were doing, using the uh, the big floppies back then. Not the big, big ones, but just the big yeah, ones. Yeah, the five and a quarters. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so it would mail the floppy disks back and forth to uh, trade off writing the book. Could have been, any, any one of those could have been lost in the mail. Right? That's, it's just crazy to think about trying to, to co-author something. I mean, it's hard enough doing anything as a group, uh, but to, to write something, that just kind of blows my mind. Uh, there was supposed to be a sequel to this called 668, The Neighbor of the Beast. And any recollection to that number for us? Uh, yeah, that was the uh, uh, number for mine and Joel's dorm room. Yep. 668, Neighbor of the Beast. And that call. was written on your door, too. It was. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so, in one of the essays titled Terry Pratchett and Appreciation, uh, Neil Gaiman was a uh, Pratchett fan, them being friends. Uh, he had, Pratchett wound up dying in 2015 of dementia, and all this really went Ugh. downhill fast. Um, but Gaiman revealed part of the filming of the series based on the book that him and Pratchett had some plotting for the sequel, and there would have been a lot of angels in the sequel, one of which was Gabriel, who was only briefly mentioned in Good Omens, but then prominently stood forward in the series. Uh, in 2011, they thought that they were going to do a television adaptation with Terry Jones and Gavin Scott. Uh, unfortunately, that fell through. Uh, they announced on his website that it was the adaptation was in, in the works from Terry Jones. Uh, like I said, didn't work out. In April 2016, he announced again that he was writing the scripts for a six-part series uh, at, as a result of a request of final request from Pratchett shortly before his death. Um, Amazon took it over and announced that Gaiman would adopt it. Uh, released on 2019, as we know, and the adaption is six seasons, or six uh, part limited, and uh, Gaiman served as a showrunner. He was actually on site for everything to make sure it Which all worked. Good. A yeah. good thing. Yeah. So, uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant cast as Razafel and Crowley, a miniseries produced in BC Studios uh, with Narrativia, I don't know what that is, but Gaiman's Blank Corporation, and uh, yeah, it is on Amazon Prime. Go watch it. So, uh, they also did a radio adaption of it. Now, I have I have heard this. There's a lot of radio adaptions of both Pratchett and Gaiman's books, and um, this one was launched on BBC Radio. Includes includes Mark Heap and Peter. I can never say his last name. Serafinowitz. Serafinowitz uh, lead it. Also with Louise Bradley, Phil Davis, Mark Benton, Colin Morgan, and my people. Uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett also had cameo roles in the in this also. Uh, they've also been produced on stage in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, the adaption of Good Omens was done with permission of Pratchett and Gaiman in 2017. And 2017. There was a reading of Good Omens, the musical, uh, in Sydney, Australia. So this is a book that has, it reaches far and wide. Um, Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, two, both of them, two very high on my list of authors. So I'm going to ask the question. Is this a first reading for any of us? For me, it yes. was. <clears throat> so uh, not yeah, for me. Yeah, me either. I'd never even heard of this book before, to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, but I and this <clears throat> is you'll probably not like this statement, but um, I, this is the first Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman book I've ever read. Same. Hmm. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this is far and away my favorite Pratchett book, and it's my second favorite Gaiman. Yeah, I kind of feel that Pratchett uh, go uh, is 
just a little bit sillier than most of the other British humor authors, and in some cases a little too silly for my personal tastes. And uh, Gaiman can get a little self-important, crawl up his own butt a little bit, and I kind of <laughs> feel they balance each other out, uh, curbing the worst excesses of each other, and this product that they uh, produce together uh, represents some of the best of both of them. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Uh, in other words, we we started at a good point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is this is a great way to get a taste of both authors because you know Neil, like like Josh said, Neil can crawl up his own ass every now and then. And it yeah, would take he, he handles the darkness stuff and Pratchett handles the silly British comedy stuff. Mm -hmm. But I can completely see during this P. Terry saying, Hey, Neil, get out of your own ass and you know, Neil saying to him, tone it back just a little bit. You know, I think they balanced each other out really well. So and this was their only collaboration, <laughs> right? Yeah, this is their only collaboration. Oh, um, well, I thought they did some sequels. <clears throat> they were going to go. They were going to do a sequel, but it never got made. Mm. Yeah. Um, Josh, when was the first time you read this? I would guess probably right around ninety-six or ninety-seven. Hmm. Probably. Yeah, I, I think that it was immediately post college. Okay. This was. I read this probably ninety-one, ninety-two, because. My high school library actually had some Terry Pratchett books in it. Hmm. So I read um, Light Fantastic when I was a senior or junior in high school. And um, then I was also reading um, <sighs> Sandman. So, you know, the Sandman series. And it was one of those things like, wait a second, that guy, that guy got together? You got your <laughs> Pratchett in, in, in my, in my uh, gaming? That sounds weird when I say it out loud. I thought that was yeah. going to be a lot more wittier. Um, and then I read that shortly after it came really, out. Really, brain? <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so, Josh and I, I've read multiple times. This is one of my standard vacation books. Like, if I'm going on I'm going on a trip and I need something to read, I can grab this book and know that I will not have a problem reading it. Yeah, I think this is time around number three for me. Yeah, I'm probably <clears throat> eight or nine. Wow. See, I, I've never read a book twice. Well, no, I take that back. I read On the Road twice, but I, I've never had the desire to read a book twice like I have to see a movie. Oh. That would be the only book you've read twice. I <laughs> it just it just oh, spoke gonna, to a man. I, I, I'm going to punch you. I'm not going to apologize that I'm a Kerouac fan. It's like when I heard oh, that, he uh, sucks. that Kerouac and Burroughs did a book together, and two of, two of the authors that are my favorites wrote Kerouac a book Kerouac is like Hemingway... You know, and had a stroke. I got excited, <laughs> and so I understand where you guys are coming from, despite your <laughs> negatory, asinine. Comment. I like on the road, Joel, but yeah, I, it is like Pat's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that, that nobody is surprised that that's the book you read twice, <laughs> but I liked it. I've never actually read it, so I'm just giving you some shit. <laughs> I can't wait for you to punch him, though. That's going to be fun when we get together, because he's going to forget. Oh, you all have punches coming. I just, oh. I just assume it. So I'm just. Uh, so, so as your first reading, Joel and uh, Pat, what did, what did you think? I enjoyed it. It was a it was a fun, easy read. Um, I I read it on my breaks at work, and I found myself you know going through it pretty quickly. It only took me like five shifts. Huh. Yeah. I. That what? Oh no, I was gonna say that that seems to be the way I I read both. Um, author's books. I, I'll read cool. these two faster than any other. And Pat's Pat's a fairly speedy reader anyway. 
Yeah, I'm not as fast as Josh, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not bad. I I enjoyed it as well. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Like I had no real knowledge about what the book was about. I didn't have other than what we kind of talked about and you guys kind of talking it up and I'd never read either of the authors. I mean, I knew about Gaiman, um, you know, just cause it's kind of hard not to, especially if you're you know, read comics um, and Pratchard, I'd heard you guys talk about over the years, but um, yeah, it, it was enjoyable. I mean, it, it, uh, I enjoyed the, the humor and I liked the creativity of it. And I, especially, I mean, just the, 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 Interplay between Azarafel and and Crowley is really what kept me interested. Um, just because how they're written, just they blended very nicely together, and, and it translated well to what we'll talk about in the second half. I mean, it, it's pretty hard <clears throat> for a book to be funny enough to make you actually like laugh out loud while you're reading it. And I had several moments during this book Ooh. of that. I mean, because most of the time when you're reading stuff, you're just like, <laughs> or you're whatever, you know what I mean? The, the funny stuff is, it's still funny, but you know, it's, it's hard so, to get like a full on belly laugh from a book, but I got that a couple of times. So tell me what, what was something you laughed at? That's what I, I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bitch. Yeah. Uh, give me a second. And cause it, I, I remember where it was. So talk amongst, you, talk amongst yourselves while I find this. The hell's angels that decide to follow the four horsemen. And wanted to be the other four horsemen of the apocalypse, and how they uh, met their end, uh, crashing into a bunch of fish. Yes, that always got me. Yeah, Just that, their whole arc. They, and they and they do have a, a, a. What I like about it is you've got that Pratchett esque writing where they're giving you. I love his subtitles. I love his um, footnotes. I mean, like the footnotes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that's that's just that is one of Terry Pratchett's. That's his thing. I have yet to see another author that does it as well as Terry Pratchett does. Well, and I think that's where I got most of the the laughs from. Now they weren't, you know, laugh out loud laughs, but they were, you know, things that I found funny. Most of those moments were the footnotes um, that were tagged with the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were certain scenes that stood out for some reason, like um, where War is, you know, still the correspondent, and she's in the middle of all of, you know, the the, the peace treaty talks. And, you know, the sword is delivered and that whole sequence happens. For some reason, that stuck out and I was excited to see it translated to the screen. Um, I don't know why it stuck out exactly, <laughs> but it did. Um, so, yeah, I, I very visual authors. Yeah. Them. Well, the introduction of all the writers was really well done in the book. I mean, it's the explanation. Of, I, I personally like the whole conversation and talk with um, Famine. You know how he has this. They they only kind of well we'll get to it later, but I like how they do this whole the whole conversation about the food that has absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. And he oh chow yes, and he's so pleased with himself because people are eating as much as they can, but they're still starving themselves. Yeah, I I really liked how they delved into the whole chow thing. That was a a much bigger section in the book, um, and I kind of was a little bummed that they didn't kind of drag that out more in the series. Because it was such a brief little section, um, but it was such a it was a great piece of kind of like satire, you know. Um, it's almost like I think we're probably headed that direction at some point. Yeah, yeah it's kind of sad, but uh, <clears throat> but no, it's um, the book itself. I mean, it's it's an easy read. I think that I've I've had some people, I don't know, say that it's a they can tell. Oh well, this is obviously the point where you know Neil took over and. You know, this is the this is the point where uh, Terry took over. I I don't I don't see that. 
in this. I think there's a great blend of both of them. I, as I was reading it, I was trying to find different voices and all I could, all I could hear in terms of, you know, differentiation of, of voices were the characters. I never heard one author sounding different than the other personally, Mm -hmm. but I'm not as familiar with their writing. So, you know, it might not be the same as it would be if we were Josh. What do you think? Did you ever find that Josh? I stopped paying attention for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Could you ever tell who was writing each section? No, I actually, I don't think I could. Um, I think that having been pretty familiar with each of their individual styles, and even though the comedy stuff is primarily from Pratchett, if you've ever read like Anansi Boys, which I know uh, probably only Mike has, Mm -hmm. um, Gaiman does uh, comedy as well. So they're talking about their process, how they went back and rewrote each other's stuff. It all kind of, it doesn't feel like it was written by two people. It feels like it was written by one dude. It really does. And that I think that sings to the fact that the two of them got along so well. Because Neil and Terry were hanging out together all the way up into his death. I mean, it was when you would have an event where Terry would be there, Neil would be there also. Um, all the way to the point where, <clears throat> uh, I think it was Neil that, said in Terry Pratchett in his will put it that all of his unpublished works that he had on his hard drive were to be destroyed by running the hard drive over with a steamroller. Jesus. And I thought he was going to will him to, to game him to do something. <laughs> no, no. He's like, all right, when I die, it's done. Done is done. The last book that they published by Terry Pratchett was shepherd's crown. And that's actually a, you know, you actually your, your, um, your kids might like it, Joel. There's a, uh, I forgot the name of the character, uh, but there's like a young adult type uh, book. Um, Tiffany Aching is the name of the character. There's a whole Tiffany Aching series that he wrote just aimed at kids. So well, Juliana's already expressed interest in this one. Yeah. Just from what she's seen online about it and uh, um, the previews that they've been showing on on YouTube. She uh, she's looked down and she's like, oh, that's what you're reading. Yeah, she got all excited about it. <clears throat> but no, it's um, and that's that's the funny thing is like uh, you know, Sophie has also jumped into it also. I mean, she's you know, grabbed it off the uh, grabbed it off the shelf and she's reading it now too. So it's I don't know, it's just a good, solid, easy to enjoy book. Yeah, and even when it's dark, it's overall very pleasant. Like, the tone is warm and happy. Even at its darkest, I kind of get that feeling off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not a kid's book by any stretch, but it's definitely not... Um, th- there's nothing in it that s- says that it's uh, you know something that has to be read by an adult either. Maybe there's some things that might be confusing, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a nice even pitch to it that can be read by young and old and enjoy. So Joel, sure. did you have a favorite moment in the book while Patrick's still thinking about what made him laugh? Oh no, I've had it ready for a while. I've oh, just... okay. No, go ahead, Pat. No, the, the section where um, they're talking about the different composers and he introduced, you know, he's talking and he, and he, talk, <laughs> he compared it to bebop. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. But the, 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 the paragraph at the end it says to <laughs> It's, it's Tchaikovsky's Another One Bites the Dust. <laughs> and then he's, to while away the time as they crossed the sleeping, sleeping, well, I can't even read this right now. They were they they listened to William Byrd's We Are the Champions, Beethoven's I Want to Break Free, and Vaughn Williams' Fat Bottom Girls. <laughs> I, I, 
that's, that got me. That is one of my uh, that's one of my favorite gags. And this is that yeah, how everything turns into a Queen song. Yeah, everything turns into the Queen's greatest hits. <laughs> that's a pretty funny gag. It is, and it it one of the things that I do like about the the pairing of these two is that they get a running gag, but they don't beat it into the ground. And when they do bring it up, it's a it's a it's a sub it's a subtext. It's a footnote. It's not you know. Oh, hey, we're referring this again, like us. <laughs> but yeah. So, Joel, did you uh, all in all did you enjoy the book? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I I rarely read anymore. Um, I just ever since I don't have a commute, it's just not been as easy for me to find the time to sit down and read. And when I do, you know, it's there's always so many other things going on. It takes me forever to read something. So it's kind of nice to have a reason to actually sit down and read something. Because I like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't do it very often. And when it's something that I actually was enjoying, it made it that much better. So, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Cool. There's something about a book in a poker room that just makes everybody kind of act weird. <laughs> like every time I would pull it out and start reading, I would invariably somebody would come up. Hey, what you reading? What, what's that book? What, what's go? I'm like, like, do I look like I want to be disturbed right now? Like, <laughs> Don't you know I'm reading a book? <clears throat> yeah, I, w- I was sitting at a, you know at one of the tables, an empty table, reading, and this guy comes up, starts talking to me, wouldn't leave me alone. Next thing I know, he's pull pulls up a chair, sits down. So I just close the book. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing this now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, did any did any of them uh, boil down into you think you're better than us? No, they already know I think I'm better than all of them. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah, good. That that's not hidden. Well, you probably are. Yeah. Wow, you hang on with a real bunch of scumbags. That's that's what. Yeah, it's it's the the same thing with my family. Like any other family, I'd be the black sheep. You know, I'm the best we got in this family. You know, any other job, I'd be the worst guy. I'm like one of the best guys in poker. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm like well, you're a, the talent here. So I mean, it just exactly. You know, I mean, I gotta hang around with better people. Is what I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I'm better people <laughs> <laughs> so uh josh you back yeah i've been oh, here okay <laughs> what, what is outside of the secondary four horsemen do you have any other favorite portions of the book uh i also love the transformation of the hellhound into dog yes oh yes any of the internal <clears throat> stuff in dog's head always gets me yeah and suddenly you found that he liked to wag his tail a lot <laughs> Yeah, they my one of my favorite scenes of it is the uh the magic scene where he's performing magic at the birthday oh, party. Oh, yeah. That just I mean, why don't you just miracle it? Oh, it's just not as fun. You know, but you're terrible. You know, it's the the and they they did a good job transferring it over in the in the show also. We'll get to that, but that's I always like the Arasafel's disconnection always gets a laugh for me. Yeah, the fact that he's a freaking angel, but he's terrible at, <laughs> at magic, and he refuses to use his powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a great bit. It's simple, but it, it's just it sums up his character nicely. So shall we uh, move on to the next section after taking a short break? Yeah, I think we're all kind of raring to go to talk about so. Yeah. All right, so when we get back, we're going to talk about Good Omens, the 2019 miniseries on Amazon Prime. Pause us. Go watch it. Come back. <laughs> Do what you he nays- said. You naysayer. Uh, uh, that's why he's the talent. <laughs>
All right, we are back. Uh, about two weeks ago, about two weeks? Yeah, about two weeks ago, uh, Amazon Prime released Good Omens 2019, which is a six-episode adaptation of Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's book, Good Omens. Um, a lot of lead-in on this. One of the things that I was is like they started advertising this back in January. Yeah, they've been pushing this hoard. Yes, for a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is directed the entire series of six books by Douglas McKinnon, who has directed episodes of Sherlock, Line of Duty, Doctor Who, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Um. Bunch of stuff, bunch of a lot of TV credits. Also, a lot of BBC, a lot of BBC. Yes, BBC. <laughs> no, Pat, that's not what it oh, means. Not oh. that BBC. No. Oh. Yes, stop it. BBC, BBC. <laughs> East Coast family. Is that what we've been saying this whole time? Oh. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett as the writers for this. Uh, also, some things I did not know that. Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman had written. He was part of the writing team for Princess Mononoke and Beowulf. Mononoke. Mononoke, sorry. I always forget about that last D. Um, done multiple episodes of Doctor Who. Uh, in fact, even did, Joel know this one, Josh, do The Doctor's Wife mm-hmm. in 2011. Yep. It was written by Neil Gaiman. Um, <clears throat> we can get you by, get them for you wholesale. Was this a uh, story short? Did Coraline. The, uh, Which in the Doctor's Wife, Michael Sheen was a uh, played a voice in that. Yes, fun, there's a fun, lot fun of Doctor Who connection in this one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yes, he's been all over, all over the place, all the way back to the original Neverwhere mini miniseries from 1996. Which, if you have not had a chance to see it, see it. It 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 um, definitely calls back to the old school like Doctor Who type thing, but um, you also have uh, a very young Peter Capaldi playing the Angel Islington in it, so good stuff. This uh, Also, Terry Pratchett, uh, out of Good Omens, also, he's a writer for all the Discworld books, the Discworld video games, which is something that I forgot to bring up earlier, uh, a lot of point-and-click graphic adventures, voiced by Eric Idle. Um... <clears throat> Also, some, I can't even say that. I don't know if that's English, but he's he's <laughs> been around also. Something called Posnade Odema. It's a short story that came out in 2013. Uh, Weird Sisters Soul Music, a TV miniseries that came out back in 1997. Um, and something called Johnny and the Dead. So both of them have been around for a long while doing multimedia stuff outside of their books. <clears throat> Starring David Tennant as Crowley. Michael Sheen as Arazafel. It's funny the way you say that because that was I always read it his name as Crowley, like Alistair Crowley, and when they said Crowley, I was like, huh. I, I was in the same boat, yeah. Yep, same here. Yeah, threw me threw me off hard. Well, I think it was because they initially were he was Crawley. Right. You know, because he and was I a thought snake. it was Cra- uh, Crawley and Crowley. Oh. But it Crowley, I think, probably works best for TV, mm-hmm. so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't get the Crowley tie-in anyway. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, also, starring Michael Sheen, uh, Midnight in Paris, uh, Masters of Sex, who already played Dr. William Masters. And uh, he's, you know, he's, got, he's actually uh, in the 2020 version of The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle coming up, too. And he was uh, Lucius in the un- Underworld. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Yep. Werewolf. Huh. That didn't really dawn on me. Yeah, I was watching it with Laura, and she's like, hey. That's <laughs> like, oh, you're right. It is. Neat. I didn't recognize him. Now i got to put that on below everybody's mind here, too. Um, but yeah, also, Francis McDormand as the voice of God. Tam Sailor Buck as Adam Young. Sisson Brooke as Deidre Young. Daniel Mays as Arthur Young. Uh, Daniel Mays, the dad. I really enjoyed his character. He, That's uh, another... There, there were a few of these where I thought they were pitch-perfect casting. David Tennant, Michael Sheen, and then... Uh, the da- and Daniel Mays were uh, among the best. Mm-hmm. And the, well, we'll get we'll get to this later on. But uh, John Hamm uh, playing an amazing Gabriel, uh, Ollie as Dog, Jack Whitehall as Newton Pulsifer. Uh, I tried to recognize where he was from. You know, it's I've another one of those faces that uh, you know I I swear I knew him, but apparently he's played in a Multiple episode, uh, the Bad Education seasons one, two, and three, which I think may be the British version of uh, that new guy, that TV show on uh, Hulu with the guy from uh, Always Sunny. AP Bio. Yeah, it seems to me like Bad Education is AP Bio, which has mm. been canceled recently. Oh, it has. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're they're fighting to get it back, but yeah. And uh, he will actually be in the upcoming announced, just announced. Uh, I think Josh is maybe Joel will be the only ones that get this, but uh, Mouse Guard. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Is that the is that the story of Mouse Rat? Yes. <laughs> I got sex here. <laughs> you Did got it from me. me. <laughs> you got sex here. <laughs> uh, is Pepper, Michael McKeon as Shadwell. Being as Michael McKean as Michael McKean can be. Right. Seriously, just perfect for that role again. Another and amazing casting. Pulling a great accent. Yeah. And and just the I wanna I wanna go to the, get to the casting on this, but I don't want to get there back get there so soon. Uh Adria Aronha as Anathema Device. Alfie Taylor oh good. Uh, it was interesting because I, there were moments where I, I thought she was like the perfect anathema. And they definitely, this is a, a smart uh, shift in the casting to make anathema uh, Puerto Rican or at least mixed Puerto Rican. Uh, and you kind of got that connection from her direct mother, like a, a kind of how the bloodline, like if you'd done this direct from the book, if this just would have been a sea of white faces. And I felt that them branching out a little bit was smart to update it for what mm. you'd expect to see in today's world. Yeah, they mix it up really well. I think I think I agree with you on that. I mean, because I think the uh, honestly, I think the anathema device in the origin in the book itself, she wasn't as interesting as she as she was in the movie. Yeah, and uh, she she nailed the kind of sexy librarian look that I always kind of had in my head for Anathema. 
See, I always had you had sexy librarian. I had awkward girl who carries too many books in high school. Yeah, I see, had her more as a uh, Ellie Kemper. Type. See, I, I totally had her as the like uh, the best. Uh, like when she had her hair up in the bun and had the glasses on, that was like okay, that's how I see Anathema. It's like yeah, as soon as she lets her hair down, total freak, total, mm. totally my type. <laughs> <laughs> Brown to come brown cow. Yeah. Um, moving down uh, through these, we've got Madam Tracy as Miranda Richardson. Or Miranda Richardson as Madam Tracy. Uh, as the whore of Jezebel. Retired. Uh, you may remember her from 1992's The, Ch- the Crying Game. Yeah, I, I hardly recognized her. Well, I didn't catch her at first. Um she looked more like herself later. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ned Dennehy <clears throat> as Hester. Uh, outside of this, he's also been in uh, Peaky Blinders and some uh, Mandy, which is on my list of movies to watch when everybody else has left the house. I've seen it. I believe you. It's yeah. a full, full-on cage. He was really good, though. Yeah, he Hester. was. Yeah. yeah, he was. Um, one, I think... This character did not get as much press or much face in this, in the show as I th- wish he had done as it compared to the book. But the International Express Man, played by Simon Merrill's. I mean, uh, they gave him about as much screen time as they could, given six hours. That's true. If it had been, I don't know, if they had maybe, I don't know. I always, I always like the portions of the book when they were talking about him just try, like trying to get to get these deliveries done. You know, and how he would always be like the record scratch in whatever scene was going on. Like when he delivers a sword to death in the book. And then it's that moment of pause and everybody's everybody stops just for him to come in. Here, sign this. Thank you. And it just picks up right where it left off after he walks away. I just I just enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed that one. So uh, moving on. Archangel Michael. Dune Makachan. Makachan. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> um, Let me rock it, Let me rock it. That's all I want to do. In a show called Plebes, and the best of Smack the Pony. <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn I'd seen her before. She looked familiar. I just, I'm maybe the last time I smacked the pony. Yeah, I was gonna say you've been pony smacking. <laughs> maybe. Joel raises his hand slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Never have I ever smacked a pony. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the hell was I talking about? <laughs> Gloria Abiano <laughs> as Uriel in 2020's Dune. Okay, uh, is cool. what she's going to be oh. in uh, soon. Um, it was kind of fun to see see Uriel because that you know I had a shadow run character named Uriel. So. Oh. Yeah, she plays Hera in Dune. Looked nothing like the, the Uriel that I <laughs> <Yeah>. played. <laughs> and knock out the rest of the Dukes of Hell. Ariane Becri as the Duke of Hell Ligger. Uh, Anna Maxwell Martin as Beelzebub. And then Morel um, Enos as War. Brian Cox as the Voice of Death. Nice. Fantastic. You may know him as Captain O'Hagan from Super Troopers. Huh, that's not where I would have gone, but okay. uh, Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter, maybe? Yeah, that's where I would have gone. Yeah, see, for me, I, 
I don't know, the first time I heard Death talk, I was waiting for him to go, the next time one of you assholes says shenanigans, it's going to get pistol whipped. <laughs> what, was the name of that, what was the name of that restaurant you like out on Highway 6? <laughs> With all the shit on the walls and the... <laughs> oh, you mean shenanigans? <laughs> but uh, Lord's Fabris is pollution. Uh, kind of freaky sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the those blue eyes, white and blue eyes, uh, kind of was a thing. Um, Yusuf Gatewood as Famine, and Bill Patterson as the Tadfield Neighborhood Watch. Hmm. I put him in because he was such a pain in the ass. But, uh, yeah, so uh, some trivia on this one. According to Neil Gaiman, co-author Terry Pratchett's last request to him before his death, as we spoke, was to do a screen adaptation. Uh, previous attempts failed to not be able to find a writer able to adapt the book while keeping its spirit and humor. And eventually, Neil just said, all right, I'll do it. Which just makes sense. Uh, Terry Gilman tried to adapt this movie several this as a movie several times over and ten years before admitting defeat. He came the closest in two thousand and two when he had ready for it, Robin Williams to play Arazafel and Johnny Depp for Crowley. Mm, I'm glad yeah. they waited. Downgrade. No offense. Yeah. I mean yeah. He raised $50 million from investors and needed a Hollywood studio and a bit more money to start production. His confidence in the project was completely shattered when he found himself in a post-9-11, yet pre-Pirates of the Caribbean Hollywood, where every studio and producer he met told him that nobody wants to see Johnny Depp movies. So, thank you? Yeah, I mean, it's good that it fell through when it did, because I, I feel that this would have been massively... Uh, diminished as a even a two and a half hour movie Mm -hmm. and I can't I I mean as much as I love Robin Williams and Johnny Depp is awesome you know awesome does his thing but I cannot see the two of them working well together on this they're no it just it wouldn't have had the same feeling no it wouldn't have been the same um, also, Terry Pratchett famously includes humorous footnotes in most of his novels. Read all of his novels. Neil Gaiman attempted to, in- to include many of the Good Omens footnotes as possible in the show as Easter eggs. An example is the table tennis set, which belongs to the Chattering Order of St. Beryl. Um, also, the stuffed animals on the bed. Uh, there was also a, sub- uh, a footnote in the book also. But uh, lots of little things in the background. And throughout the series, there are numerous references and Easter eggs to Doctor Who, as many of the cast have been featured in the show. Uh, Crowley's watch. When they did the close-up on that, I was like, that is a really cool watch. Yeah, it was. It is a Devon Tread 1A and runs somewhere between fifteen dollars to $20,000. Jeebus age crest. Right? Uh, and this, I forgot to put this in there, but... Um, the book that the uh, pr- the guard is reading at the gate of the uh, Air Force Base. Was it, a Neil Gaiman book? Was American yeah, it was Gods? American Gods. Yeah. yeah. So I caught that right off. Yeah. I saw I saw the name. I didn't catch what the title was. Yeah, I recognize the cover. The other big Neil Gaiman adaptation. Yes. <laughs> Go watch that also. We should do that too. When did American Gods come out? That was pre. Yeah, we, we could do that uh, at some point, and I'd be eager to do it, considering that is my favorite Neil Gaiman book. Nice. 
Let's just keep doing this, Josh. Let's keep doing books that you and I have read multiple times and bringing the other two up on up, up to speed on stuff. <laughs> Reading is fundamental, Joel. The more you know. Why are you pointing at me? You were the one who said you didn't read, so that's why I'm picking on yeah. you. <laughs> I just yeah, you illiterate there. fuck. <laughs> Easy there, Senior Wences. <laughs> so, um... I hate to say it this way, but how much did we love this? I was very impressed with it. Yeah, there were. I, I thought that the expansions they made uh, were intelligent and added a hell of a lot. No pun intended. Hey. Um, I thought that the cuts they made were necessary, and the changes and updates they made were also uh, very good choices. Mm-hmm. I was sad to not see the other Horsemen of the Apocalypse, but I get why they had to be cut. Mm-hmm. They were a last-minute budget cut. Um, there were scenes right off the kick where they first uh, latched me in that I knew this was going to be something special. The whole winking scene between the two satanic nuns, which was so funny in the book, it was so deftly handled. I, I wasn't sure that scene was filmable. And it was very nicely done. Well, yeah, that was voice really... of God filling in the necessary narration. And I think the addition of the voice of God in this was needed to be able to translate a Terry Pratchett book correctly. You absolutely need the narrator uh, putting their two cents in here and there. Otherwise, it would not have made sense. Right. I think I was in. Honestly, right off the bat. Um, when, when I heard it was being made into a, into a show, I was like, oh, fantastic. They're finally going to get this right. They're going to do it good. Oh, it's on Amazon. Oh, like if it had been Netflix, I would have been a little bit more. All right, cool. This is going to be, you know, a little more confidence pre watching it. By the time they announced this though, I mean, uh, fabulous Mrs. Maisel had already been out. I still haven't seen that. And Jack Ryan. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. So they Yes, the tick. The tick, I, the tick was I still good. haven't watched it. I want. I want to check that one out. We should do that show. Yeah, and we're gonna do that show. But as much as I love the tick's adaptation, like the universal acclaim for Mrs. Maisel and to a lesser extent Jack Ryan are where I'd go first to like sell anyone on Amazon streaming as quality. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree. Well, I mean, they also I, have. I mean, going back a little further, the Man in the High Castle. I mean, started out good. I, I wanted to love it. It bored me to tears. Really? Yeah. Oh, we're talking about good omens. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, uh, one thing that I think made this the best is the casting. Whoever did the casting for this, David Tennant and Michael Sheen were exactly what I saw in my head reading the book. I mean, well, and... and- Oh, good. Oh no, no, I was gonna say. I mean, and all the way down to it seems like they they just about every character matched up with what I, I mean, what I expected it to be. Well, um, they diversified the cast a bit. Like I, I will admit that uh, Pepper obviously was different from the way she was described in the books, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, diversifying the group of friends was great and. Uh, I had a different image in my head initially of famine and pollution, but no more. 
uh, Yusuf Gatewood as Famine was freaking amazing. She was fantastic as Gate as he, Famine. He, 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 wait, I'm sorry. Which one was which one was the eyes? Uh, pollution. Pollution. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Yusuf Gatewood uh, ha- had this just super creepy, like almost looked mummified mm-hmm. presence when he was moving around in that sleek suit. I-, I can't imagine a better casting for Famine. Yeah. I definitely agree. Well, what I was going to say was, uh, you know, as I had mentioned about the books, my my favorite part of it was the interplay between Aziraphale and and Crowley. And the two of them, Michael Sheen and and David Tennant, just characterized that perfectly. Like, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't have picked two better people to to play those parts, to be honest. My favorite part was... The four horsemen, actually, with them meeting to get meeting up in the uh... just in general, like the 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 look of them. I liked the the whole casting, like that that scene when they were pulling up on the airbase and just switched from the four motorcycles into the SUV. That was just a cool shot. That, I mean, I just liked those characters. I mean, there were some a couple things with the special effects that were a little lacking yeah. at times but it seemed like towards the end they they pulled it together and it, and it almost felt like it got better or just but it matched the tone of the book though in a lot of ways i think i my forgiveness for cgi and effects is a lot uh, i'm a lot easier going on it if it's a tv show than it is if it's a movie and let's face it the effects at their worst were about what i expect out of the average doctor who episode mm-hmm yeah, well, no, and that's, I mean, I guess I just figured because of what it was and uh, everything, I, I, for some reason, anticipated something more. But I ended up, like I said, I felt like it got a lot better as it went on almost. Well, mo- most, um, of the, most of the bad special effects, like, for instance, the um, spaceship, they, were, they, they wasted. Well, that was intentional, on, on, I think. Well, just in general, I was going to say that they, they, they they spent the the money correctly. Like the, the things that were just throwaway special effects, they didn't really focus on getting them perfect and it didn't matter. Well, I think like, especially with the, with that sort of thing, with the spaceship and the, uh, them digging the hole from China. I think that is, they looked that way. They look kind of cheesy because it was coming out of the mind of Adam. I'll admit, at first when I saw it, I did not care for the frog. Even though it was straight out of the description of the book, I did not care for the frog on Hoster's head. Or Ligger's head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was... And uh, I I like that they left the Lord of the Files uh, gag. They just said it there. They said it twice. I missed it. it. Normally, you assume that he's Lord of the Flies. Right. But everyone's been, like, mishearing it the whole time. He's Lord of the Files. Huh. I didn't even catch that either, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I remember from the book, but it didn't even occur to me when I was watching it. Yeah, they it. said it uh, two or three times in, in the series. Hmm. And, and they um, didn't make a big deal or over-explain it, but I caught it, and I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's the kind of the, the kind of good jokes that I, like we talked about in the Police Squad episode, where, you know, just make the joke, don't. You don't have to like point lights and everything at mm-hmm. it and focus on it. just, you know, and if you miss it, then you miss it, you know, whatever. But the people that catch it are going to appreciate it even more. And if it's a good enough show or series, 
you're going to want to rewatch it. And when you do, you may catch it the next time and go, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be a spotlight thing. Um, I just wanted to point something out real quick before I forget. Uh, did anybody catch who was singing uh, Nightingale sang in Barclay Square at the end? No. It was Tori Amos. Oh. No. Who is another really good friend of Neil Gaiman, who they've been friends for years now, mm-hmm. and uh, who he based uh, Delirium off of in the Sandman books. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I caught it immediately. As soon as I heard it, her start singing, I'm like, oh, it's Tori. And then I double checked to make sure before we did the oh. show. But You're yeah. on a first name basis? Well, yeah. he, she is one of his music crushes. That's true. As well, she should be. It's a Christmas party. <laughs> Sorry, old Tori must joke. Anyway, back to the book or show. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, speaking of voices and singing, how about the uh, the voice of Satan himself? Francis Mc. No, not no. Um, Satan. She was God. Yeah. Was God. Uh, I knew that Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Which incidentally, the the design of Satan was cool. I like. He was with the with out. the horns and all that. The crown of yeah, horns. That the crown of horns. One of the better representations of Satan that I've seen in movies. I really was thinking he was just going to look like a normal human after all that, all that, like all that build up and everything, and the explosion, and he just walks out looking like Emo Phillips or something. <laughs> you Hello, are my son. son. <laughs> <laughs> and I did expect Francis McDormand to pop out at some point, but she never did. Huh. I thought it was a smart choice for them not to. Yeah, and and I mean. Metatron is an actual, you know, biblical, hist- yeah. uh, r- historically religious figure, so it made sense. I, I also love that they uh, not only expanded the role of uh, the angels, but the whole like brash American corporate dude, John Hams Gabriel, added so much every time he showed up. I he, I, I loved that character. Yeah, he was so good. Like <laughs> just the way he dealt with everything, like. I don't, I I don't know. I'm here to purchase pornography. <laughs> yeah. no, we need to go in the back. <laughs> They're so easy to fool. <laughs> that scene of dancing, too, by the way. Um, with Michael with, Sheen? Yeah. That was, that was fucking funny. Talking about <laughs> the garrote. Or garrote. <laughs> how, how many, yeah, how many yeah. D- angels can dance on a pin? Well, the angels don't dance. <laughs> Except for one. That whole scene was, but it's only yeah. that dance, and the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the mini history of the world where we got all those additional scenes with Crowley and Aziraphale that weren't in the book. I was just spellbound by m- most of them. They were funny. They were well in. Like, if I had not recently reread the books, it would have passed over me that uh, like those the, were additional scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. the French Revolution all that, and yeah. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. The Shakespeare one was pretty good. Can you take care of this? No one's ever going to come see Hamlet. Take care of that. Fine. Yeah, I think you're right, Josh. What you had said earlier is the stuff that they had left out, while as entertaining as the second group of horsemen would have been, especially when they run into the uh, wall of fish, and that's what I was expecting, because if you look in the opening credits, the uh, spaceship turns into a rain of fish. Yeah. In there, and so I got like, oh, the fish are going to be in it. No, unfortunately not. But I I agree that they were good for a book, but unnecessary for a short form TV series. Had we decided to like focus on them and devote time to them, I think it would have messed with the pacing. Mm-hmm. 
And can we also just harken back to something you guys have said in an earlier show that, and I believe Mike was the one who said it, that how great and intelligent is it that they're starting to realize that books shouldn't be made into a singular one and a half hour film? Oh, yeah. I mean, because that's absolutely 100%. This, this just um, benefited so much from the fact that it had the time to breathe and grow and play out all the, you know, the parts that they chose to include. And sometimes, you know, some, some shows should probably, probably be more than six episodes. Not going to name any of those shows, but (laughs) you compare this, it's a relatively medium length book that got six 45 minute episodes. And then you've got the dark tower, which was 10 books and got one two hour movie and everyone hated it. Mm -hmm. I mean, despite the fact that they nailed the casting, that series did not deserve more. It should have gotten several seasons of a TV show. We would have had a completely different experience. Well, do you think they're going to eventually do that? They already are. They're working on it. Yeah, they're working on it. Because now is the time. Everybody's getting into the mini series. Yeah, it seems the miniseries have made a comeback. Yeah, and it's weird that they uh, they get it right with this. They get it right with all of these other things we've seen, and then there's this one sour note. It's like, guys, we're past this. You don't do this to uh, treasured books. Maybe yeah. Stephen King needed some cash. I don't think. Was he still on the heroin? <laughs> it, was co- it was cocaine that he was addicted oh, to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Stolen. I mean, Stephen King's got to have currently is on the top of the world right now, as every other movie that's coming out is an adaptation of something he's done or series. Yeah, he's had a really nice resurgence. Everybody yeah. thought he was done after that van accident. No, he's yeah, he's he's back in a big bad way. But this isn't the Stephen King show. No. Nope. No, it's not. It's not. Maybe we should put that in the show topics. I think, but it is. I mean, it, th- there is some evidence that you can pull off something on a smaller scale. I mean, because it chapter one and two, you know, is four hours for you know a thousand page book. But anyway, back to good omens. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I really do hope. I mean, when whenever I hear that a book that I have loved is coming out and being made into an adaptation, I mean, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, they broke it up. It it's it it needed it. It you can't do. It it just won't work. Now, I mean, there's several. I mean, honestly, after after we finished watching this here at home, the girls started in. You know, what movies do you want? What would you? What book would you like to see translated into it? So, given Neil Gaiman or given a uh, Terry Pratchett book, what would you? What's something that you would like to see? I guess that was only be a question for Josh then. Because <laughs> Pat hasn't read anything from the other two, and Joel doesn't read ever. You illiterate, illiterate. fuck. Oh, honestly, now that <laughs> if we're talking about another Neil Gaiman, uh, yeah. I would love to see them uh, take Orlando Jones and just spin off, do an Nancy Boys, because I feel that it is different, funnier, but related to American Gods, and mm-hmm. I. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about where American Gods has gone, but we will do the American Gods show and talk about that in depth. Yes. Pat, do you have a book that you wish would be translated? To a mm, TV show? 
there's a series by Raymond Feist called Magician. I would like to see that. Raymond Feist. Uh, the uh, Rift War saga? Yep. Nice. Joel? How about I would like to... S- let me, wait, let me I'd guess. Like- Hello, Moon. <laughs> they already did that, didn't they? On the, on the road with Christian Stewart. They already did on the road. With Christian Stewart. And yep. It was yes, they got it. Kristen Stewart. It, it, um, got it, it got what it deserved. It got Kristen Stewart. <laughs> oh, I'm just needlessly picking on you at this point. There's meh, meh, meh. <laughs> trying to get the rolls back. Roll back. Um, I'd like to see Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. That's one of my favorite books. I'd like to see that. They, they did a stage version of it um, before she passed, but I'd like to see a a film adaptation of it. Or a series. Mm. I would like somebody to write a book about uh, Precious based on the novel pushed by Sapphire and then somebody do a movie about that book. I'm actually terrified sometimes when I see things that I'm convinced are not filmable when I hear they've been optioned. I like how Josh is completely ignored. <laughs> yep. Moving well, right past it. I'd like I was to, actually I'd... hoping when he said precious, he was going to follow with moments and talk about the little figures. <laughs> Dude, that's oh, coming. I, I want to I watch the, the story of Hummel. Sponsored by Thrivent. Um, no, what what what's an example, Josh? Well, uh, the series I recommended to Pat pre-show, the Brandon Sanderson uh, Stormlight Archive has been uh, mm. optioned. And I'm like, there's no way. No one is going to give that as much money as it's going to take. Like it would be twice as expensive as Game of Thrones and take five times as long. Well, and there's there's been multiple attempts to do books that have gone horribly, horribly wrong, like Sword of Truth series. That they do. You remember that, Josh? Yeah, although I, if it's the one I remember, it, it was that a good kind. Yeah, I. I I actually, after the third book, fell off hard, so I, I kind of feel that got what it deserved. Yeah, they, they uh, well, Holy Cats actually lasted eight, two years. The Legend of the Seeker. Yeah, that was Wizard's First Rule, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that I, one. I like the first book, and you get to the like the fourth one, and it's oh look, it's these shallow stereotypes with the guy who's good at everything, and obvious that the author has some serious problems with women. See, one of the things about that is I I got about with the Seeker series I got about book seven before I got before I was finally like all right I'm done. Um, but like one of the things like they that they did in this one was Richard Cipher and Zedek Zed Zedekus Zul Zarander. Um, the two characters n- grew up together. You know, Richard Cipher was basically raised by Zed. And they change it in the TV series that they never knew each other. They were just just met for the first time after Richard had become an adult. So they ripped out all that history that we had grown to enjoy from the books. And it seems like there's there's just some things that you cannot change from a book. Like if you're if you're changing the core of a character, which is something I'm glad that they did not do with anybody in Good Omens. They left the characters as they were supposed to be and instead focused on removing sections 
Yeah, and they updated sections in Good Omens to bring it in line with what you would expect with what we know about the internet and what we know about social media. There were references that obviously weren't in the 1990 novel that Mm -hmm. you needed to have to make sense to a 2019 audience, and I appreciated those updates. Yeah, and they—they the thing is, they they were updates, but they didn't stand out. No, they made smart choices to alter the things that they needed to to make sense in a modern world. Yes. I mean, we like to think of 1990 as only a few years ago, but it really wasn't. It's (laughs) almost 30 years ago now. Yeah. And the internet and phones are completely different animals than they were in 1990. And acknowledging that is important. Mm -hmm. But one thing that wasn't different was Crowley's car, which was badass. Uh, well, it was Yeah, different. let's talk about the Bentley. The Bentley was a Jaguar in the book, wasn't it? No, it was a Bentley. It was, was it a totally Bentley? a Bentley. Yeah, yeah it was yep. a Bentley. The word I think of Jaguar. Oh, I just changed my password at work. Where'd I get Munson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the car... Uh, maybe it didn't have as many special effects dollars as I expected thrown into the car itself, but... That car is so cool. Yeah, it is. And it had per- it had its own personality too. Yeah. You know, it was it was its own character in the ser- in the the series. The car's fantastic. Especially that scene at the end with the uh neighborhood watch. What he wanted to say was your car is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, it I mean it I you always can tell, especially with my with my fam, that when you start watching something, and when everybody's in on it, especially especially if I'm watching it for the show, I have to finish the series before Thursday. Now this is one of those where I tried to start watching it, and then the screaming started. <laughs> you know, it's like I have to watch these six episodes. Okay, I'm gonna jump on episode four. Here on Monday. What do you mean you're watching it? I can't get down there to watch it right now. You better not be watching that without me. That's kind of where I am. I, I know I'm going to have to watch it at least one more time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I was well, like, I, sorry, I can't make time to just watch it with all the people we said we were going to watch it with. I, I need to watch it before Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to watch it again, though. Oh, I totally That's do. That's just it. Yeah. Yeah. At least uh, it's, At least it's good enough to watch again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a second viewing to catch things I didn't catch the first time around, like the Lord of the Files. I think this is going to be another one of those shows where you go back and you catch something every single time. Uh, The ending. The ending was another big change. Yes. Like, I saw it coming, but uh, I I liked that there was a little bit of a tweak where you don't quite know where it's going when it starts to go in different directions in the last episode. Did we call spoilers? <laughs> Too bad. I like the Adam kid, the actor. He was oh yeah, he, he very a, well cast. Yeah, he did. He did a good job. And Wensleydale was pretty much perfect. You know who the kid reminded me of was um, Chris Makepeace from My Bodyguard. That sounds really, really weird, but yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. He didn't, yeah. Mm, okay. And every group has a Brian. 
Ours happens to be Brian. <laughs> I say that because I know he listens to the show. We love you, Brian. Our El Guapo happens to be a real El Guapo. <laughs> That's funny. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where when we all like something a lot, you know, it's hard to just you know do anything other than go, so I like this part. Oh, I like this part, too. Yeah. Well, it's better than when we, when we all kind of like it. That's the worst. We have nothing to say. Like, yeah, it was pretty all right. It was okay. It was vanilla. Yeah. I like. I, I mean, I like yeah. it when I always. I, I always like choosing things that I know Patrick's gonna hate. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. If we all hate it or if we all love it, I think it's still fine. Yeah. But as we found out last week, when we really hate something, things get really lively. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, there you go. Good omen. So we do uh, thumbs up, thumbs down on this? It's obvious as usual, but let's do it. It's tradition. Yeah. Well, I'm thumbs up on both, obviously. Joel? Yeah, I'm definitely thumbs up on both things. Sure. Massive thumbs up on both for me. Yeah. And two thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) From the Germans. (laughs) Yeah, uh, two thumbs up, obviously. Nice. Now, here's a question. Joel and Pat, are you going to read more uh, Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman? I will probably check out something of theirs at some point. But I just, I mean, it's one of those things where I have so many books on the backlog. Yeah. Just like so many shows on the backlog. Yeah. I've got a a separate section of my bookshelf downstairs that is specifically designated for books that I've purchased that I have not read yet that are on my list to read at some point and uh game and something I've always kind of been interested in any- anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I would say a good book to get into like, I don't say the game inverse, but into that feel is Neverwhere. Yeah. I mean, Neverwhere is kind of like the middle of the road, but like, I like the fact that we're already talking about pushing them to read American gods. Yeah. Cause that's like his most important in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And as for Pratchett stuff, I would say if you really want to get to the root of some great storytelling, look for Guards Guards. That kind of gives you an idea of because there's a in the Terry Pratchett's world all Discworld all takes place in Ankh-Morpork is a city and Guards Guards gives you a great view of all the main characters. This sounds like it was written by the Swedish chef Ankh-Morpork and Guards Guards <laughs> Guards 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 Ankh-Morpork <laughs> See, yeah, Mike <laughs> likes Pratchett a lot more than I do. I, I am, I like Pratchett, but in my opinion, you should read your first Pratchett after you've already read everything of Douglas Adams twice. Yeah, and see, we've been through Douglas Adams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. We went into Pratchett after we did Douglas Adams on road trips. Did the uh, the um, audio audio dramas? Piers Anthony, anyone? So, do you guys think there's going to no. be a second season? Uh, no. They've already said there shouldn't be. I don't think there should be. I yeah, and that's the thing is like I don't I agree with you. There should not be, but as popular as this has gotten, I though. really want there to be. If they if they can manage it and tell and get somebody who can tell a story with these two characters that'll follow into like Dirk Gently. Because I mean, because you you know how it is with you know. 
if you if you show that you can make money with something, oh yeah, they they have a hard time letting letting that go. Yeah, but when you have uh, one of the co-creators having passed away, you add an entirely different like. I don't know if I am qualified to do this. Yeah, Tupac Shakur would like to talk to you, or okay. rather, the hologram of Tupac Shakur would like to talk to you. I'd like to talk to him too. <laughs> we have Get some things to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I'm guessing that you there will be. Tupac? That fool owes me twenty dollars. <laughs> what? I got it, Pat. It's cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? Ah, next week we're doing something that we've done before, but we're doing it a little bit different. Or again. Anal sex. No. Oh, sorry. I'd ask doing... how many different ways there are to do that, but you'd tell me. <laughs> <laughs> He'd show you, actually. We are doing cover songs, but the twist is... Someone? Oh, I, I was going to do Dun Dun Dun, but the twist is... Oh, oh we've, we've, so, we've built this up way too much. I, I, the, the suspense is killing them, I'm sure. The twist is it's going to be all Weezer covers. We're taking the original songs that Weezer did on their cover album named something that I don't the remember. Album. Right. The Teal there Album. There you go. And we're going to be talking about the original versions versus the covers on that album. Yeah. So, so this is Cover Songs Part 2. But yep. And we're revisiting the topic. If you have any thoughts on cover songs or anything we said about anything this evening, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. <laughs> Fuck. That's horse for iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NudeFM.com, and Spotify. Listen to us, leave us a review, give us a call, do like Josh said, please. We like to hear from you. Give us ideas. We need those. Be like Karen. Yes. yes. Thank you, Karen. Tell me I'm beautiful. <laughs> Karen yeah. even tried the uh, Miracle Whip and peanut butter sandwich. I she saw did. that. Yeah. That's a brave, brave woman. Yeah. So good. I love Karen. She said it was mediocre and she would not do it again. She said it was okay. You're you're was she talking about the sandwich twisting or her words. Well she she messaged me and said it was the worst thing she ever put in her mouth. <laughs> again, are we talking about a sandwich or pat? Well, okay, let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back next week with the cover song show part two, and thank you for listening. Ta da! Damn it. The horse and around cast. <laughs> I would totally if we could. We started a new podcast, the horse and around cast. Put it in the music. <laughs> Twenty minutes off, so it's making horse noises. <laughs> we would. It would either like and nobody. We, have, I was say, we we force ourselves to get dressed up, even though no one sees us. We we have to commit to the bit. <laughs> oh, I like that. Nice plan words. Thank you. Commit to the bit. <laughs> oh my god. And then Josh exploded. <laughs> yeah, Josh is allergic to horses, we found out in episode four when he died. <laughs> oh.